What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really, the best way to describe this person is simply my everything. It's at Eric Delala. Great to be with you, Phil. Great to be with you. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. I look forward to... uh, this all week, getting to chat with you, and I'm especially excited today because we've got a great show in store. We'll do our usual antics, two truths, one lie, Phil in the blank. We'll talk uh, all about the Steelers game, but Eric, uh, the thing I'm most excited about is our guest this week here on the Neutral Zone. Got a chance to catch up with a member of the original No-Fly Zone Akib Talib. He's back, baby. He's back. Uh, announced his retirement last week from the NFL. He's got a new podcast. We talked to, I talked to him about all kinds of different things, including where does he rank that 2015 Broncos defense all time? Where, where do they rank? I asked him about yeah, that. I have no idea what he's going to say. I also asked him about Drew Locke rapping and if he's ever seen Peyton Manning do something similar to that. So it's a great conversation. He's always entertaining. So uh, make sure you stick around for that. Uh, if you have a, uh, a thought, if you have a comment, if you want to subscribe, if you want to rate the neutral zone, make sure you do that. We're available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now, Eric, I don't know if you knew this, but we are on iHeartRadio. I think actually on that platform, they only play my voice, your voice. They, uh, it it's just goes silent. Yeah, it's too annoying for the radio frequency, so it's just me. Uh, was that that's after still, like, still a good option. Uh, after like numerous complaints? Yes, yes. Yeah. Like us. The FCC uh, got involved. <laughs> Car speakers were breaking, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a bad situation. Yeah. Well, uh, you can hear at Eric Dalala on iHeartRadio. Eric, let's just go ahead and dive in to this Steelers game. The Broncos are looking to avoid going 0-2. Eric, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Broncos really have not gone 0-2 that much in the franchise's history. This would be the first time, if they lose this game, that they had back-to-back 0-2 starts since 1966. Jeez, you were still in high school back then. Yes. I think I just won won the state title at that point. Yeah, the 100-meter dash. (laughs) back, Back then, the record was like, 14 and a half seconds or something really yeah. fast. No, it's, uh, it's important, Phil, because as we know from last season, uh, when there was an 0-4 start, which hopefully we're not even close to talking about that here, 0-2 teams only make the playoffs about 12% of the time. And granted, that's with a 16 playoff field, so I would expect those numbers to be a 
a little bit different, but, but it, it's important to uh, to get off to a good start here on the road in Pittsburgh to be able to hold on and avoid these simple mistakes and uh, find a way to get a win. But so when I go through the schedule just in general before the year, I would say this is maybe the third hardest game all year. And so to me, I penciled this in as a likely loss. And the fact that you now need to win it to avoid going 0-2 is a bad situation, I think, in some ways. You love this schedule. You just like anytime, anytime you have an opportunity at all to talk about the schedule, that's what you do. Well, I mean, uh, going to Arrowhead for Sunday Night Football is a harder game than this. And then I would say playing New Orleans at home is probably a harder game than this. But other than that, I think you could make the argument that this is the most difficult game after that. And so I would caution fans to, even if the Broncos lose and Phil will talk about ways that they can win, and I do think it's possible, but if that happens, you've got to view this as a bigger picture as you've still got 14 opportunities here to get some wins and that uh, just because the, the way the schedule sets up, you have some difficult opponents early doesn't mean that this team is not good. I mean, of course that they can win this game. I don't think that that's any sort of question because when you have a cue like Drew Locke and you go on the road, anything is possible. So we saw Drew get off to a uh, – I think like what John Alley said about Drew's training camp, inconsistent. I think that's what we sort of saw from Drew on uh, Monday night against the Titans. He had times where he really flashed and showed, look, this is what I can become. Then there are other times where he missed a couple of throws and you're like, man, I wish you uh, could have had those back. So, uh, but yes, I think that the Broncos can go to Pittsburgh. They could get creative with their play calling. I don't think that that Giants game against the Steelers on Monday night, I don't think that that's really an indicator of maybe how good Pittsburgh is. I think maybe that says more about where New York is. But, like, there's no doubt that this defense that they're going to face, it might be the top defense in the NFL. I mean, uh, they got T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree coming off the line. We know about their secondary, Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary. I I just think that uh, this might be the best defense that they face, and so they're going to have to execute, and they're going to have to make the most of their opportunities. Yeah, and that's without Cameron Hayward, who's a perennial pro bowler, Devin Bush in the middle of that defense at linebacker. I mean, they're stacked all over the field. Did the Broncos want to get Devin Bush or no? I had heard once or twice that there is some sort of connection between uh, Devin Bush and the Broncos, but maybe we'll get to that a little bit later, Phil. Um, yes. That's a oh. tease for those oh. in the business. Oh, I, yeah. I like that, Eric. Uh, Phil, I will say – I had similar thoughts last year. Just, I'm a maybe a pessimist, a pessimist by nature. Um, and that's why and, this show's great because I'm an optimist. Yeah. We got a little um, yin and yang, sun and moon kind of thing going. Yeah. Um, before this team went to Houston, I kind of had similar thoughts that you know I thought Drew would play well, but I thought that was going to be a tough game to win. And you're right. When your quarterback is good, you have a chance. You always have a chance to win games, especially on the road. Um, but I think before I assume the Broncos are going to win these games, which hopefully you get to a point where you think 
you know, you assume you're going to win every game you're in. I just need to see it more consistently. And the Broncos were two and six on the road last year. So that's a big question they've got to answer in general. And obviously, I feel 10 times more confident about playing at Heinz Field without fans there as opposed to renegade bumping in the fourth quarter and there's 70,000 people going crazy and you've got a terrible towel because you've just given into the hype and the momentum. I don't have a terrible towel. No, I don't. The only reason I like to go to Pittsburgh is to get some Promanti brothers. Not a sponsor, but if they mm. want to be. Yeah, not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but, now uh, open to Pittsburgh yes. sponsors. I mean, there's a reason why the Broncos are seven and a half point underdogs heading into this game. So, uh, but I think that you can't overreact to week one. You just have no idea what to expect. I think that it's possible that, you know, the Broncos face a really good Titans team and now they're going to face a really good Steelers team. And they almost won that first game against the Titans. So they should uh, be right in the thick of this one too. Right. And if you play well again, I mean, if you look around the league at some of these power rankings, the Broncos stayed where they were after the Titans lost because they played well. You know, they made some mistakes, but they had a good game. And you can play well against the Steelers and still lose because they're a quality team. And so there's a difference between losing to the Steelers uh, in week two, if that happens, and losing to a team that you should really beat. And so I'm not going to be freaking out Monday morning, regardless of the outcome yeah and you know you you don't know really what to expect from Ben Roethlisberger he had a good first game he threw three touchdowns but uh, I think that earlier this week he said that uh, the day after the game it felt like he had been in a train wreck and then the day after that it felt like he had been in a car accident so maybe if the Broncos can find a way to get some pressure on a banged up offensive line they could you know mix it up maybe Couple of turnovers, bada bing, bada boom. Come on home with a with a dub. Hey, I uh, I'm all for that. Or as the Nuggets head coach Mike Malone likes to say, take that L on the way out. This is not a Nuggets podcast. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. Eric, do you want to play two truths and one lie? Yeah, of course I want to. I would love to. All right, are you ready? Yeah, yes. It's a little reoccur. It's a little reoccurring segment here on the show. Just want to make sure that you've braced yourself. Is your seatbelt on? So what happens in this segment? You're not going to give me like two I, lies and one truth. No, right? I go ahead and I give you the two truths, one lie. Are you ready? Mm. Number one. Since special teams coordinator Tom McMahon joined the Broncos in 2018, no team has blocked more kicks than the Broncos. Okay. I don't know if you remember, but Shelby Harris blocked a kick on Monday night. I always like when we start off with a special teams one because it's like Vince, right at the front of your mind. That's the way. That's what you're focused on. Uh, I'm not sure if you paid attention Monday night. I think I saw you sleeping in a press box because it was so late at night. You had a hot cocoa, and then you, f- you fell asleep up there. But uh, special teams played a big role in that game because they almost ended up c- costing the Titans a game. So let me just repeat that one more time so you, can, so you got it. Since Wait. special teams coordinator Tom McMahon joined the Broncos 
2018. No team has blocked more kicks than the Broncos. Okay, that's number okay. one. Number two, the Broncos had nine players make their NFL debuts on Monday night, including seven rookies. Okay. Okay, number three. The Steelers and Broncos have each played in eight Super Bowls. The Steelers have won six. Only the Patriots have won more Super Bowls than the Steelers. Mm. Interesting. You want me to read that last one again for you, just so you make sure you got it? Yeah, sure. The Steelers and Broncos have played in eight Super Bowls. The Steelers have won six. Only the Patriots have won more Super Bowls. That's false. You got it, yeah. Yeah, the Patriots have only won six, I believe. Tied with the Steelers for six. The only difference is New England has played in 11, which is insane. Right, but you – Based on your basketball uh, affinity, you would prefer for them to go to fewer Super Bowls and win them all as opposed to win a bunch of them and just go to a bunch of finals. Is that like a LeBron comment there? Because that's what I'm picking up on. But um, it is true, though, that the Steelers and Broncos have each played in eight Super Bowls. Which, uh, so seven rookies. Seven rookies uh, made their debut, nine players overall. The two non-rookies to make their NFL debuts for the Broncos last week, Calvin Anderson and P.J. Locke. And Jacob Obenmoyer. No. <laughs> yes, that's, that is incorrect. I am unclear on that. I've just uh, <laughs> looked up the notes here. Is Bobenmoyer – hold on a second. Let's look at – oh, Bobenmoyer is a rookie. He's considered a rookie. So, he's not, but we can we can move on. His experience a, level is rookie. He's a first year player. There's a I don't think people want to hear us argue about this, but um, I there's appreciate, a little R next to his name, so <laughs> maybe he's a reporter. You, you just take yeah, exactly. You just take that for whatever you think, uh, Eric. I will say I had one little bonus little nugget. Okay, I think that this one's kind of interesting. Can I guess? And I almost went with this, but I, I decided not to make it part of the game. Okay. Are Does it have anything to do with Drew Locke and Peyton Manning? No. Okay. That one's way too obvious, Eric. And I think that uh, – why don't you go ahead and tell people what you're talking about? I believe if Drew Locke has a game with a passer rating higher than 90 this weekend, he would be the first Broncos quarterback to have four of those in a row since Peyton Manning. And when did Peyton Manning do that? Uh, I would guess in 2014. Nice guess. That correct? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> well, uh, but here's a here's my little nugget, and this might this might really knock your socks off. So tie your shoes up. Steelers defensive back coach Tom Bradley. They're their defensive backs coach. Okay. Yeah, it's it started well. I like where I like where we're starting. He coached, he coached at Penn State okay. while Broncos offensive line coach Mike Munchak was a player there. Mm-hmm. That was from 1979. Huh? I don't want to get into the Penn State. 
That was from 1979 to 1981, Eric, for three years while Mike Munchak was there. The Steelers defensive backs coach was coaching at Penn State while Mike Munchak was a player there. Wow. Bradley, though, you would think, okay, this guy must be – he must have been around forever. He's only coached in the NFL for three years. Uh, He's coached a great secondary, obviously. We mentioned him earlier in the show, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden. But he spent 35 years at the collegiate level. And he's very young. People forget he was he was a toddler when he started at Penn State. That's that how he. Yeah. You want to know one other little nugget here? And this one's pretty obvious, but the Steelers have only had three head coaches since 1969. Oh man, that is crazy. And what the Broncos have probably had 14, 13. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the total number, but I'll say this. Since uh, 2014, the Broncos have had four different head coaches. Yeah. Well, I think – I believe Vic Fangio is the 18th coach in franchise history, and so – Well, they went for a few there in the 60s. Ex- huh? Exactly. So, all right. So, that was like a lot of truths and just one little lie in there and uh, maybe two lies. I don't know. It depends on who you, who you trust. I like to just keep you on your toes, Eric. Yeah. So, anyway, let's move on. Let's get to our guest this week here, Eric. I think people have probably hit the fast forward or the advanced 30 seconds to get to this point. Because, I mean, when you read the headline of the show, you're like, oh, my gosh, they talked to Akeep Tlaib. Let's hear from them, from him. So, uh, without further ado, my interview with – Mr. Akeep Tlaib. Uh, Akeep, first of all, congrats on your retirement. Uh, was it a tough decision? It was. It was, Phil. You know, you was around us in that locker room, man. You know how much that situation is. You know how much that situation means to us. Just not even the games, not even, not even practice. Just the brotherhood of us being in that locker room, man. I think... I think that's what I'm going to miss the most, man. Just, you know, getting to wake up in the morning, throw some hooping shorts on and a T-shirt, brush my teeth, and then go around those guys and be around those guys for seven, eight hours, man. It's a, it's a real brotherhood. So that's what made the decision so hard, man. Was it weird watching football on Sunday last week? It wasn't as weird as I thought it would be, Phil. It, it, was, it was pretty regular. I was really a fan. You know what I'm saying? I really – Went back to my fan days. I had the, the, the main game on my big screen, the two secondary games on the side. So I, I enjoyed it, man. I, I, it wasn't too tough watching it. It was, it was a done deal at that point. So I actually enjoyed watching it, man. I enjoyed being a fan of the game. I know you said you got a call from Bill Belichick, but you felt maybe like your competitive drive wasn't where it should be. I was surprised to hear that, man. Knowing you, I, I was surprised to hear that. Knowing me right, Phil. That's why I say so. You know, I stand on that. That's that's what that's the reason. That's the reason I played in the NFL. I think that's what got me there. Is he, he's so competitive. He hate to lose in cards, PlayStation, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So once that drive and it was just the edge wasn't there no more. I could kind I could kind of feel it. Uh, I just you know what I'm saying. The day I told myself the day I feel like that. That's when I'm gonna stop playing. How many years you want to play, Keith? I don't know. Just it. 
till I feel it, till I feel like I don't, I don't feel like competing like that no more. So that's what it was mainly. That's what it was. So it is what it is. I knew after a loss, hey, stay away from Akeem. That I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, I hate it. I used to hate to lose, Phil. You know, give me a minute. Give me a couple hours. Give me to the morning or something. But you know how I used to be after them losses, man. I used to absolutely hate losing. You know what I'm saying? And that was ever since I ever played any competitive sport. So, man, once I didn't have that drive and that I lose a play and then I wasn't just furious, I'm like, I don't even know if. I don't want I don't want that leave to be out there, man. I want one leave to go out there. I don't even want to put that on tape. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I thought it was the right time, right thing to do. Well, good thing uh, here in Denver, you did more winning than losing. Uh, what What are some of your favorite memories of your time here in Denver? Ah, oh, man, definitely Super Bowl 50. Just uh, the confetti falling, man, guys doing the snow angels and stuff. Uh, that's definitely one of them. The AFC Championship before Super Bowl 50, honestly, Phil, that probably was my favorite game as a football player ever, man, just because it was against Tom Brady. And, you know, we kind of whooped on the Panthers, man. We whooped on y'all all game. We controlled the game all game. At least with the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, it was back and forth. It came down to the last play. I was able to get the breakup uh, for the two-point conversion. So I had, like, I was involved, had something to do with the win. Uh, to play on Gronk, I was, you know what I'm saying? I just was involved in it, and it was a super good game. Came all the way down to the wire. So uh, that was one of them, man. Uh, what else, man? Just Vine Crib, man. Just just times that's not even football. Just hanging out at Vine Crib, and there's like 25 dudes from the team over there, man. That's just real camaraderie, you know what I'm saying? So we just had casino nights, man. We go over there and watch Thursday night game, man. Thursday night football game, man. You know, play cards and stuff like that. So, I think that brotherhood, that, that by far my favorite team, my favorite team. I got the most friends off that team than I did off any other team, man. So, them some of my favorite memories right there, man. Just the guys, Super Bowl Fifty, definitely the AFC Championship. You feel like when a team wins a Super Bowl like that, the team camaraderie, you stay together forever. I mean, you you guys will have that win forever. Right. Right. But but honestly, honestly, Phil, I think the team camaraderie comes first. That team camaraderie comes first, and then you win a chip. So, I mean, you call it. We ask like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. We ask him about them teams. He going to say, oh, man, we were super close, and then they won a chip. Like, it's that comes first. The Kansas City Chiefs, they're a super close team. And then you see they fighting, battling, playoffs, playoffs, and then they get over the hump and win the chip. So I feel like without that camaraderie, man, you 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 rarely going to see teams win that chip. So that camaraderie comes first. Uh, you feel like you're still really tight, though, with guys like, uh, you know, Chris or TJ, all those guys? Definitely, man, definitely. Uh, I talk to TJ all the time, Chris all the time, Vaughn all the time, Stu all the time, Roby all the time. You know, Roby is getting into that. He the veteran in the room now. So he called me and thought, he said, Lee, man, what you did? How you lead us like that, bro? What you did? What was your mindset? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I talked to a bunch of those guys. Now I'm, I'm texting Billy Wynn the other day, you know what I'm saying, on, on the ground. But, uh, a lot of people, man. Steve Johnson, Steve in, in my gym right now working out. So, man, just it's just a lot of guys who I came across at the Broncos. Uh, still good with them right now. Peyton sent me a, a little article he read the other day. Hit me in the morning. 
asking me for my address. I'm still waiting to see what it is. Paige said he finna send me something. That got me super excited, Pierce. <laughs> oh, you'll have to let us know. I, I think you, he, he writes letters to everybody who retires, so maybe that's what's coming. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. So definitely, man, I, I'm, I'm super good. EDT, both of them guys, man, I ain't named the officers guys. CJ, I still keep in contact with all those guys, man. So we had a close team. That was a great team, man. So many uh, good guys on that team. Uh, where would you rate that 2015 defense all time? Best ever. <laughs> up and like up front, back in, linebackers in the middle, man. We second to none, man. Our numbers second to none. Our rankings second to none. We didn't choke at the end. We actually won the chip with the defense. So, and, and we, man, we carried the team. It was us. So, man, if a, if a Top tier defense carries the team throughout the season. Ranked number one against the pass, number two against the run, or number three against the run, and number one overall. And they win the Super Bowl. It's gonna be hard not to put them guys at number one. You did. You did it all. Yeah, yeah you did. We can argue with anybody. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> I love it, Akiva. I, I gotta ask you. You had ten pick sixes in your career. Most defensive guys, when the ball's in their hand, they look awkward. They don't know how to return it, but not you. I mean, did you always have that? I did. You know, I'm, you know, I'm really a wide out feel. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm really a wide out playing DB. So, but ever since I started, I started playing organized football eighth grade here in uh, Dallas. So, I mean, ever since I started playing, I played DB and receiver and uh, return. So I always had a knack for it. They used to throw me a bunch of screens at, at receiver. So I think my first touchdown in college, was against Missouri on a screen pass on offense. My first touchdown on offense in college was uh, on a screen pass, and I uh, took it up, took it to the crib. So I always had a little knack for, you know, making guys miss, uh, knowing when to cut back on them and stuff like that. So I always had that in my, in my bag. I always thought you would be great in the media whenever you were done playing football. Now you got your podcast, your show, Call to the Booth. Are you having fun doing that? I am, man. I'm having, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm still, it's, it's still keep me around the game. So I still have to watch a bunch of tape. Now we just look before we got on here, I just finished watching my show and I'm getting critiqued by my producer and stuff on these parts. So I'm still learning, you know what I'm saying? So, but I am, I'm having a bunch of fun, man. Uh, luckily I got great relationships throughout the league. So my interviews on my show, I can get guys on the show easy, man. I just call them up. They'll come on the show. And uh, I'm enjoying it, man. It, it, it keeps me around the game. Long as long as I stay around the game field, I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, does it? Do you still get that rush on on Sundays, even or maybe just doing the show? Is it similar? Anything like that? Yeah, it's it's not the same rush. It's not that. It's not a. I used to get like this nervous ass. I don't know if people know nervous feeling. Like, oh, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I gotta listen to R and B music to calm down. Uh, make sure I eat like super light foods, you know, turkey sandwiches and stuff like that, light mayo. Like, I was a nervous wreck on game day. I just was always amped up, ready to go, you know what I'm saying? So I don't get that feeling, but I do get excited, you know, just being around the guy, I get to watch the tape and talk about it, and people are going to hear what I'm saying and bring a guest on the show, talk some more football. So I get excited, but it's definitely not that. It's not that playing feeling. What about like uh, you know the once you actually played in the game? Did those nerves continue, or did you settle in once you started playing? Oh yeah, I settled. I went, once once warm ups was over with, and we actually did the the last. I feel like right after the national anthem, 
Then the nerves start settling down once the game starts. Oh, then I'm leaving once the game starts. It's over with. <laughs> uh, and then you mentioned your gym there, too. You're running, you're running a gym in Dallas? Yep, A plus D1, man. We, uh, we got something going out here, too, too uh, Phil. It's doing great, man. We, we're doing team trainings. We're training adults. We're training kids. Uh, we really putting some people out of here, man. There's guys who came in here. They was on the bench. Now they starting left tackles for their high schools, and you know what I'm saying? Wow. My son grew up in here. Now I know it's in his genes, but he got in this gym and he's looking like a monster right now on that field, Phil. So I'm telling you, I know the gym had to have something to do with it, man. He he's just a little advanced than the other kids. So man, we putting out good products, man. We standing on it. We got all good trainers, and uh we got something going out here. Is that part of it too? Now you get to be a dad more, you get to be more involved, get to watch them play football. Definitely, definitely. It, it was that was a huge part of the decision. It it wasn't just that I didn't really have that drive no more, but it's my kids getting older now. You know what I'm saying? Jabril, he's seven, he's playing tackle football now. He wants me to at the games. He feel like he played better when I'm present at the games. You know what I'm saying? So he wants me at the games. Uh my daughter, she stayed in Orange County with her mother, but now she's living in Dallas with me. She's been waiting for me to retire so she could come live with me and, uh, you know, see what that's like. So, you know, my kids and my family and where we are as a family definitely had a lot to do with the decision as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this Broncos football team. You mentioned your relationship with Vaughn. Uh, how do you think he's going to bounce back from this injury? Man, he's Vaughn, so I know he already ready to go, man. He's 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 super mentally tough. That's one of the that's one of the best things about his game. He's so mentally tough. He's so confident in himself, man. So I don't I don't have no questions how he gonna come back. He's gonna come back even stronger, core strong. He was already locked in this offseason, man. That's probably the most locked in Vaughn that I ever seen. He came out here to the gym. You know, he came out here for a month and worked out, man. And I'm like, boy, I ain't never seen you locked in like this. So he was already doing it. He was already changing as, you know, maturing and really locking in strictly football. So uh, I, I think he'll stay right on that same path, man. He'll rehab, he'll get back. And uh, I just hate to see that happen to him, man, because I was excited to watch him play this year. Man, he had a tremendous training camp. I thought he was going to kill it out there. I, it's, man, it's a shame. I believe it. Uh, it is what it is. That's part of our game, Phil. It is what it is. He know that. He know he's just going to keep praying and get back. Maybe it's a test that he uh, got to pass. The uh, Broncos quarterback, Drew Locke, uh, one of his famous moments last year was when he was rapping on the sideline. Would you have loved to have played with a quarterback like that? Always, man. I love, you know, guys who in the game, they, you know, social guys. He, he be himself, man. That's what I like. That's what I like about him, man. He, he is. He don't try to be nobody but himself, man. So you know, I, I love them kind of characters. Peyton never did that, huh? <laughs> hey, you know, Peyton. Peyton, he'd come down. You know, Peyton was a locker room joker, man. So you know, he'd come down, put our chains on and stuff. He had not. He we never get him to rap. You know what I'm saying? But but you know, Peyton is like one of the funniest guys in the world, man. So he the same. He just be himself, and, and his wittiness and his jokes just it's crazy. Well, keep hey, thanks for taking some time to catch up a little bit here, man. Uh, let us know whenever you're in Denver. I'd love to catch up in person, especially when all this stuff is over with. Right, definitely, man. As soon as all this stuff over with, you know I got to come by, man, check you all out, man. I miss it out there. Love Broncos country, man. I never, I never, I never forget my time in Denver.
thank you to uh, Akeep Dalit for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. A great conversation with the uh, one of the most entertaining players I think that you or I have covered uh, here in Denver, Eric. And I know that each of us have uh, some favorite moments that we want to talk about. But uh, what do you think about that interview there? He said that that 2015 defense was the best defense of all time. Yeah, that shocks me, knowing a key that he would be confident in his team and uh, suggest they're the best. And I mean, for good reason. That Especially the pass defense was remarkable. Uh, and I think the farther we get away from that Super Bowl, so people forget just how good that Panthers offense had been all season. And I think the narrative was that I wasn't here at that point, but the narrative on the East Coast, though, all the way back east, was that the the Panthers were going to uh, kind of run away with that game. The Broncos were definitely not uh, the favorites. Come and, on. Uh, Come and the on. defense just – Tlaib even just said, he said, I don't even care about that Panthers game. We whooped them up. He was like the more impressive game was the AFC championship game and uh, going against Tom Brady. So, and of course, Tlaib made some huge plays in that AFC championship game. That two-point conversion, amazing. Yeah. No, he, uh, he was the lockdown corner you needed. He made the plays on the ball. And everybody in that defense, they did what they did really well. You know, Chris was a great slot corner who could cover those fast guys. Tlaib was a physical corner that could, uh, you know, challenge a number one wide receiver. And then, of course, Darian Stewart was rangy. TJ Ward could just knock people out. And Bradley Roby was a great third option. So there's a reason that group had its own nickname, Phil. Yes. And, you know, you heard Tlaib there talk about how you know, when you win a Super Bowl, there's a bond that you share with that group of guys on that in that locker room that you'll have that forever. And so, you know, years from now when they're like, oh, it's the 20th anniversary of that Super Bowl win, you'll probably be like 24 at that point. Um, 25. Yeah. I'll just turn 25. Yeah. They'll all come back to Denver and they'll all be – chatting it up and I'm sure that the uh, stories will get bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on. But um, they have that bond and it's, uh, it's cool to see, hear from Akeeb there and uh, hear him just talk about how he stays in touch with a lot of these guys. So make sure you uh, give his podcast a, 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 subscri a subscription, subscribe to it, however you want to uh, say that there. So uh Call to the booth, Eric. He's in the booth. But, Eric, I, I think it. that his personality, we all knew he was going to be heading to the media. What, what's uh, your favorite moment uh, covering? Oh, man. There's a, this might surprise people just because um, on the field, he had such like a – he was an aggressive player. Like, he talked a lot of mess to other guys. But I thought he was maybe the best person in the locker room. and He was always really – kind, approachable, uh, you know, treated us with respect, I thought, Phil. Like, he was, he was a great guy to work with. So, I – Unless they had just lost a game, like I mentioned there. Well, well yeah. If they but, lose a game, you stay away from him. But I think there was this uh, – you'd think that he was a huge star that was, like, too good for 
doing some of the stuff that we like to do. And he went to Animal Kingdom with us, Bill. We we saw the gorillas and the birds together. He wore Snapchat goggles on a roller coaster. I mean, he was just a down-to-earth guy. But uh, on the field, one play that stands out is that pick six against the Colts in uh, 2016. I mean, that was the first time I really saw up close the impact he could have and how impressive of a player he was. And I think I took for granted back then the fact that you just pick off a pass and you return it for a touchdown. That's like just what Akeem Tlaib did. Ten pick sixes. Yeah, and and now I think the Broncos have had two pick sixes since Tlaib left maybe. Uh, Certainly not many. Chris Harris and Todd Davis had them in the same game against the Cardinals. Justin Simmons had a pick six against the Dolphins. Was Um, Tlaib still on that team? I forget. Uh, I believe he was yeah, he on that team. Yeah. But, um, yes. yeah, I mean, it's, it just hasn't happened a whole lot since then. Um, and then, Phil, the Michael Crabtree chain incident, part one and part two. Just yeah, I stayed away from that in the interview. I didn't really bring that up. But, yes, my favorite moment off the field, I got two. One was – or I think number one definitely is – during Super Bowl media night, Talib was there. We gave him the microphone to go around and interview some guys. He went up to Wade Phillips, and he put his chain on Wade Phillips, and then Phillips was like, now we drip it. And that was, uh, that was a, a top moment for sure. I mean, now we drip it. That was an amazing moment from that week in general. Then also uh, when he tried to jump up on the uh, post-game stage for NFL Network after the Super Bowl and he slipped, that's like classic to leap to me. So excited, so animated, and then he does something silly. Uh, that was just like classic there for me. But, uh, yeah, and then, all you know, you mentioned the pick sixes. I mean, uh, he had a pick, a pick six against the Browns in a really tough game that 2015 season. And, you know, maybe that's ended up saving the game. Uh, of course, that New England game. I mean, there's just so many games where he he had a pick six against the Cowboys that he returned for, like, almost 100 yards, I think it was. So He was 102. Yeah, 102. a long one. So, he had a – there was a, he had a game in Tampa, Phil, in 2016 where he had two interceptions in his homecoming, and he loved that. He got a game ball and did a little dance and took a bow in the locker room. I mean, yeah. he you talk about the NFL as being, you know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. Tlaib was the ultimate entertainer. You never knew what was going to happen uh, with the keep going. So. No, Kept down your toes. Fair... Kept down your toes. Yeah. I'll just say that, so. Anyway, our thanks uh, to uh, the now retired Keep to leave for joining us. Yeah, and, and Phil, uh, he's—I uh, would think he's got to be in the Ring of Fame someday. I mean, to me, yeah. you know, maybe it's not a first ballot type of guy like a Peyton Manning, but he, he deserves to be up there for what he did for this defense. Uh, I think I think six of his pick sixes were in Denver. Um, believe he made four Pro Bowls here. So he uh, – I mean, that's a that's a resume that speaks for itself. And even though he was just here for a few seasons, I think he was more than uh, – he's qualified to be up there. And part of it, it depends, Phil, on how much you honor that Super Bowl team and how many guys you start putting in. But uh, no, nobody else good. like him. 
to my opinion, Tlaib is a, a ring of famer. He meets all the qualifications. He was here for four years. You know, that's what you, that's the minimum amount of time. And he was a pro bowler all four years. He was first team all pro in 2016. So like, you know, and that, and that defense won a Super Bowl. So I think the the more interesting kind of conversation and we can have this later is if he will ever get where he's knocking on the door and maybe tips into the hall of fame. I'm not sure if, uh, I mean, I think his numbers might be right there and maybe uh, over time people appreciate his game and, uh, you know, look back on this era. He was definitely one of the top cornerbacks during the, his entire career. So, you know, uh, that's going to be interesting to see if he can uh, get, get into Canton. You know, he's kind of right on the edge of that, um, that era where teams just decided to stop throwing at number one cornerbacks because now guys don't have as many pick sixes because teams just stay away from a guy like that. To leave, I think people still, they took their chances for whatever reason, maybe because the Broncos defense was so good and, and they had to throw at somebody, but uh, man, 10 doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a ton of interceptions returned for a touchdown. Yeah. That's a lot. And, and, and I'll say this, like uh, he was one of the top cornerbacks of his era. I mean, like Daryl Revis and Akeem Tlaib, like those are the two names that, like in my mind that are like at, at the top of that list. Yeah. So, uh, and he's, he was a great guy to work with. So maybe he's got some media, maybe that'll help him out too. So. Whereas Daryl Revis was a little bit difficult from my understanding. So, hey, I'm uh, if I keep to leave, wants to come back to the Broncos and do some Good Morning Broncos country. He wants to get on a radio station. He wants to do any of that stuff and elevate his profile like Steve did. Kind of, I'm all for that. I'm not sure if it, that's uh, the kind of role that Akeem is. I think he's thinking maybe a little more high profile. Hmm. Anyway, that we're interview need, we're here if you need us. That interview in the video version will be up on our YouTube page in just a little bit, so uh, make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that. Eric, I think it's time to move on to uh, fill in the blank. Yeah, Phil, uh, our favorite part of the show, and I give you a statement with a word or phrase missing. You've just got to fill it in. Uh, couple here reflecting on last week and then one looking forward um the first would be blank was drew lock's most memorable play of week one uh to me definitely that super the the touchdown past the noah fans i mean you saw his skills on display there rolled out of the pocket was able to improvise directing traffic with his finger and pointing where he was going to throw the ball for Noah fans. And then he put that thing on a rope and it, and it hit right where he wanted. I think that that's, you know, that's probably the top play in my mind. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, there were a couple other throws that I thought were really impressive. There was a third down pass to Tim Patrick. And then you could also say, uh, you know, just some of the, times where he got out of the pocket were, were good but that touchdown just shows you everything that he could be you know and I guess I mean that he is but just needs to be 
on a more consistent basis. I agree. Consistent and also accuracy. Yeah. Uh, second one here, Phil, kind of uh, we heard Jerry Judy say earlier this week that he's going to remember the two drops whenever he thinks back on his, the, start of his, the start of his rookie season. Blank will be your lasting impression of Jerry Judy's debut. Um, it, it, for me personally, it'll be hard to forget that third down drop just because he catches that and the Broncos' odds of winning maybe like quadruple. So it's going to be hard to like not remember that, that particular play. But I, I will say so the one catch that he had where he stopped and changed the direction he was going in and then took off, took kind of a hard hit, but he bounced back up and it was for a good long first down. Uh, those two things are going to just stick in my mind. One, he made that catch and he, he took off and showed his speed and he looked like he was moving at a different speed than the rest of the NFL players on the field. So that was impressive, but definitely that drop on third down is what I'll remember the most. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if this is at the end of the season or, or years from now, I think Jerry is po poised for an incredible season, a really good career. Um, and I think what I'll remember eventually once we get away from these drops is that it was evident right away just how good of a route runner he was and how easily he created separation. I mean, part of, part of what's lost in those drops is that he was wide open because at the line of scrimmage, he was getting three yards away from these defenders who have been in the league, who have uh, you know played NFL football before. And Jerry Judy in his first action showed that he – was just light years ahead, especially in the slot. And so I said, I think that will be my lasting impact or impression is just that you could tell right away how good he was going to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and then Phil, we're heading to Pittsburgh to uh, face the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger, obviously part of that quarterback class that includes Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. Blank is the best quarterback from that class. Of those Best three. quarterback, not most accomplished. Best. Uh, I would say the best quarterback from that class is Philip Rivers. Mm. He, he, I think he's the best. I would say the most accomplished is probably Big Ben. And that, yeah, well, I mean, the, Big Ben and Eli obviously each have two Super Bowl wins. So. Yes. And then just like based off of who I think is better, just like on the field there, I would say Big Ben. But, but overall, I think that Phillip Rivers is the best quarterback from that, from that class. We've seen those guys drop off. Obviously, Eli retired at the end of last year. Uh, Big Ben got hurt last year. And Phillip Rivers, I'm not sure what's happening there. I mean, uh, struggled in his debut in Indy. But, but at their peak and, like, for the longest duration there, Phillip Rivers was really, really good. And he kept, he kept some real mediocre Chargers teams in the mix for many, many years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, – and obviously, Phil, you watching the Broncos, they play the Chargers twice a year. That's a, a team that you are quite familiar with. I probably watched more games with Roethlisberger – 
in his prime. I would just think in terms of which which of those three guys would you least want to play in a given week. And to me, Roethlisberger has a slight edge over uh, Rivers in that area. But, I mean, I think there's a chance all three of those guys end up in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think definitely Big Ben and, and Eli. I think Eli gets in because of the two Super Bowls playing in the New York market. I think he, eventually he'll get in. His last name definitely helps him too. So, And I think that the, the question mark is, okay, Philip Rivers never really got to that mountaintop. So not that I think that you have to. I don't think, obviously, quarterback wins. That's not really a stat. But uh, I think that – I think that he'll probably get in. Yeah, I'd say all three get in, in my opinion. But, yeah, Big Ben is a big problem. You know, like he's big. He's hard to bring down. You know, he weighs as much as our linebackers do. So, he's strong. He can make any throw on the field. He just makes plays that, you know, I think you think the play's done or that you've got him, and he just knocks off a – a tackler and makes the throw and um I would be interested I don't have them off the in front of me with their interception numbers I would think Rivers probably made has thrown more interceptions and has made more big time mistakes than Roethlisberger yes yes but I always feel like Roethlisberger every year had so much talent around him that you're like man he's thrown to some of the best Plexico Burris Antonio Holmes Antonio Brown, you know, Juju Smith now. I mean, he's got a lot of talent. He's got a great – he's usually got a great offensive line around him, usually a really good defense there. I mean, those teams are playing in big moments, you know, like you got to consider a lot of those things too, in my opinion. Uh, Rivers actually has only thrown nine more interceptions than Roethlisberger. And uh, because Roethlisberger – it's a little uh, Roethlisberger missed last season, um, but Rivers didn't really play his first two years in San Diego. So it, it kind of balances out a little bit, but closer than I would have thought. Yeah, I think Rivers is the best in my opinion. And then, Phil, what did I say at the beginning of the episode? We, uh, we're going to come back to you later. said it was a little bit of a tease. Uh, I forget. Man. Yeah, me too. Me too. The, the, Maybe we'll great. listen. We'll we'll listen back, and we'll uh, I'll bring it back for next week's fill in the blank. Maybe it was like something to do with the keys of the game. Oh, Devin Bush. That's what it was. Devin oh Bush. yeah. Okay. So this work. That's why you. That's why we keep you around. We're gonna put you back on iHeartRadio. Um, <laughs> Are we transitioning rather, to keys of the game now, or is this still no, this, another one little? This is an extra fill in the blank, but it's more just a kind of a would you rather. Would you rather have – this is, I think, easy, but just want to hear your reasoning. Would, Would you I rather, rather have, have Drew Locke and Noah Fant or Devin Bush? Yes. I would obviously say Drew Locke and Noah Fant. Just because because if Locke ends up being your franchise quarterback, okay, you, you can't put a price on that. You would do anything to get a franchise quarterback. Half the teams in this league would make trades to get a franchise quarterback right now. So that's one thing. And then on top of that, it appears, especially after that first half against the Titans, that Noah Fant is going to be really good in this league. 
if they could just figure out a way to get him the ball more consistently throughout the game, he could show off that speed because, goodness gracious, if he cut, catches the ball in open space, he's not going out of bounds. He's going to put his shoulder down, and he's going to be hard to bring down. Yeah. No. And this is a rare instance, Phil, where I think both teams could feel like they won because it's not like the Steelers, one, needed a franchise quarterback, and two, were in position to get Drew Locke. And so, I mean, I guess they could have taken him at 10, but like they needed a linebacker and they got one. And the Broncos needed a weapon on offense and a quarterback, and they got both of those. And don't forget, Phil, that the Steelers also threw in a third round pick that the Broncos used to take Lloyd Cushenberry, the third. Sir Lloyd Cushenberry, the third. And so you're getting, you got Fant, Lock, Sir Lloyd Cushenberry, the third to move down 10 spots. So that to me is, and obviously there was a a trade in there somewhere with the Bengals to move up to get Lock, but that was not a major part of the deal. Yeah. Well, and that's no knock on Devin Bush, who's an amazing linebacker. No, both. Both teams uh, got what they needed. It's one of those situations where it worked out. But, um, you know, it, it's not – no one's going to be looking at this and being like, why did the – you know, why did the 49ers trade up to get – or trade down and Mitchell Trubisky gets drafted? You know, like those – it's not one of those situations where one team clearly lost. Yeah. Starting I, Mitchell. I agree. That's a, that was a harsh blow. But I'll, uh, I'll allow it. Eric, should we move on uh, here and uh, wrap up the show with some keys to the game? I would love to. Let's do that, uh, Eric. Uh, I, for me, I would start well by, uh, by saying you're going to have to figure out a way to slow down these Steelers' wide receivers, especially without A.J. Boye this week. Yeah, and so that might be the biggest key. It might be the hardest thing to do. Um, you know, we're worried when you think about wide receiver cores, you think about like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Gronk coming here next week. But I mean, this Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, um, uh, this new kid, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. I mean, they've got Deontay Johnson. They've got some good players. And that means that even if Bryce Callahan can lock somebody down, and Michael Ojemudi, I thought was really promising, uh, saying Bassey's going to have to cover a really good player and be up for it because Roethlisberger will go at whoever he thinks is the weak link there. Um, and that kind of ties in with me, to me, Phil, with the pass rush. Can you get a better pass rush than you did last week against the Titans? Because there were moments when it was fine and Bradley Chubb got a couple quarterback hits and Atachu, I think, had seven pressures. And uh, they were decent and they sent Alexander Johnson, but Roethlisberger can't have four or five seconds to throw the ball or else it's not going to end well. And we heard Vic Fangio talking about, you know, maybe getting creative on defense and having some blitz packages and that kind of stuff. Because I think that when you, maybe when, when Vic was uh, thinking about some defensive schemes for this year, I don't think he was thinking, okay, how are we going to generate a pass rush? You know, those weren't part of his plans because when you got Bob Miller and Bradley Chubb, it just sort of takes care of itself. But now I think personally you miss Von Miller a lot in that Titans game, particularly on that last drive. And, uh, you know, if you can get some hits on Ben Roethlisberger 
early on, that's going to be a factor. I don't think Big Ben is going to be running around and scrambling and doing all kinds of things. I think he's going to sit in the pocket and try and get the ball out fast. But, you know, their O-line is banged up in Pittsburgh. Zach Bannon, Banner is uh, out for the season, their right tackle. Um, so I think that if you can get some pass rush on him, maybe force him into some mistakes, get some game-changing plays on the Broncos' side, that's going to be big time. And even with, you know, Antonio Brown a couple of years ago in 2018 when that Pittsburgh team was kind of rolling, Roethlisberger will make a few throws every game that are just kind of head-scratching mistakes. And uh, Kareem Jackson kind of said that on Thursday when I asked him, he said they knew Ryan Tannehill wouldn't give him any chances or many chances. They think Roethlisberger will. And so maybe the way you, you know, maybe Roethlisberger does throw for a lot of yards and is able to move the team down the field, but maybe you're able to, you know, bend but not break, get a turn, a couple turnovers. That would go a long way. And then I think offensively, Phil, because of how good this defense is, and it's just, there's not really a weakness. Um, because of how good they are, one, you can't afford to turn the ball over. You've got to be efficient in the red zone. You can't have drops. Just those simple things that Drew Locke has been talking about. But then from a specific matchup standpoint, Phil, the tackles and Garrett Bowles and Elijah Wilkinson have got to hold up against Bud Dupree and uh, TJ Watt. And it's not going to be easy. I thought Garrett played really well against the Titans holding up against Clowney. Wilkinson struggled a little bit, I thought. There were, you know, third and three that Locke tried to throw a little go route to Deshaun Hamilton, and Wilkinson barely got his hands on Harold Landry. And then, of course, the Hail Mary, there was also some pressure. So they've got to be better there and, and give Drew time to throw. And I know that Drew was not sacked on Monday, but they were disruptive at times. And so that's what you worry about, that Drew's not going to have time to set things up downfield. And if Cortland Sutton comes back, it'll get easier. But it's going to be tough. Well, Drew was asked about that uh, this week, you know, and he said, look, their guys up front are just attack, 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 attack. And he said sometimes you have to call plays to counter some of that attack. So to me, that means moving the pocket, having him roll out in space, misdirection type of things, screen plays. There's, play, there's ways that you could do just with play calling you can counter that that pass attack, that passing, the rushing attack. And uh, I think that if they can keep that defense honest, off balance, keep them guessing, I think that's how you can try to neutralize it. Because like you said, like they're not going to be able to hold up against those guys for an entire game. They're going to make plays here and there. So you've got to do things where you keep them off balance. Well, and I don't, you're not – Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think that it includes running the ball, though, because, you know, one way you try to counter some of that stuff is by running the ball. But they're so good against running the ball. Saquon Barkley had 15 carries for six yards. Six yards, yeah. Eric. It's not good. You know, I think the other thing is that you're probably not going to have 10, 11, 12 play drives against this team just because they're really good, they're fundamentally sound. And if you try to go three yards at a time down the field, they'll either stop you or you'll make a mistake. And so 
I think you've got to take some chances here, you know, instead of trying to, instead of run, run, pass, or run, pass, run, or, you know, just trying to incrementally move your way down, take a play action shot deep to Cortland if he plays, or give, you know, Jerry Judy showed that he could get space against the Titans. Go back to him. I mean, see if you can get KJ Hamler if he plays in a little gadget place that, that steals you some points. I mean, they're going to have to uh, dial some stuff up here. And and if I if I were calling place too, I would try to get Jerry Judy in the mix early and often, just because let's get his confidence going. Let's get some. Let's get in a rhythm. Maybe some easy catches. Get him just feeling good about himself, and then then you can find a rhythm. Because I think when the Broncos did have a rhythm on offense, they were moving the ball very well against a good Titans defense. So the pro- part of the problem in that game was that they just never were able to get things going um, because the Titans dominated time of possession. So I think that this Pittsburgh team doesn't really do that too much. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see, you know. We'll have to see. And, and I will say that the, the cornerback position is probably – the weakest on that, you know, of any of the positions on that defense cornerback is probably where you can attack. And so as long as um, you stay away from Minka, maybe there's an opportunity there to, to connect with Corlin, to connect with Jerry Judy. And Phil, I said this to you earlier in the week, when Jerry Judy talked to the press, he seemed angry. He seemed annoyed. And a lot of it, it's like that Michael Jordan meme where he's like, I took that personally. I think Jerry Judy is taking these drops in the attention that followed personally. Cause I think Jerry's like, I know I shouldn't have dropped him. I get it. It's not going to happen. And I would not be surprised at all. if Jerry Judy comes out and has kind of a uh, screw you type game. A screw you. What? I think, uh, I think that's what we can say on the neutral zone. Got it. Yeah. I would, uh, I would be surprised maybe if he's got like uh, your picture up in his locker and he's just like this guy. And then like when he's trying to fall asleep at night, he's just got an image of you asking him questions on a zoom about drops. You know, that's just, you're just, I'd be careful walking around here. If, if I, yeah. I mean, if it leads to some more tubs and fewer uh, drops, I'll, t- I'll do my part. You know, you just got to put the ball in the box, Eric. I think Jerry G scores his first career tub this week in Pittsburgh. I agree. I don't know if that's going out on a limb too far. but uh, Well, I will say last week, Phil, uh, you said Drew Lock would throw two touchdowns, and I said one, and I was correct. And then uh, I said Melvin Gordon would score two touchdowns, and he had one and a fumble. So – which led to a Steeler or to a Titans touchdown. So in some ways he did have to. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Your picture is going to just be going up all around the lot. We're <laughs> <laughs> just, just giving him a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Eric, let's wrap this bad boy up with uh, some feel good stuff. Uh, how about a shout out to Liz Manis in the community department? Big, some big programs these days, Phil. We stand for inspire change. There's a lot. There's a lot. Broncos are uh, they're putting 
action where everyone has said, well, what are you going to do about this? What comes next? Consistent action. Uh, I think it's been, uh, it well, has been great to see and I'm interested to see what comes next. Yeah, no, I'm uh, it's uh, something to pay attention to all season long, see how, uh, how things progress here. The Broncos have uh, done their best to give the players a voice and uh, give them an outlet and a platform. And uh, yeah, I think the Broncos have done a great job. I think Sports Illustrated wrote a story on, on uh, some of the reform that they've pushed through with uh, new law. So yeah. it's been good to see. Eric, so, And I will, Phil, I'll, uh, I'll shout out the Denver Nuggets, a nice – comeback i saw today michael malone said that the league uh or that he petitioned the league to just start down 3-1 against the lakers which i'll oh, take that that's okay with me i don't want that yeah but well uh, if anybody knows hey, about 3-1 it's uh king james that's true and he knows uh, all about that phil will be watching anxiously eagerly when they play game one on friday and it sounds like maybe drew Locke could be a virtual fan, I think that they said that's happening. I believe that's yeah. going to be happening. So Confirmed. Uh, that's what I've read. So, Are you going to be a virtual fan? I would love to be. That would be tremendous. I mean, I just watch on my couch just like every other human being. So, Except Graham Glasgow. We heard he barely even has a couch. <laughs> yeah, he's got some plastic furniture. He's got that uh, Eric Dalala home collection. I like those Adirondack chairs. That's a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. But, yes, the Nuggets, tremendous. Jamal Murray, Kola Jokic. That's a tough duo. That little uh, that little high pick and roll. Whew. Good luck. I'm looking forward to a good series here. Yeah, and uh, I think we're only a few weeks away here from LeBron's fourth title, so that's exciting. Sorry, yeah, I think the internet cut out there for a second. So. Oh, okay. Any other um, shout-outs, Phil? Well, I was just going to say one last thing. When the entire world thinks you're down and out and, and the whole world just wants to see the battle L.A., for the Nuggets to just overcome that, that speaks, that speaks bat leaps and bounds about that team's toughness. So the um, whole world wants I, to see LeBron in the finals, that's not going to bother them. I like that. It's not going to bother them when they go home. I mean, they, LeBron ain't losing to the Nuggets, but you don't know um, that Kawhi Leonard lost to the Nuggets. You don't know anything. Yeah, I will say that um, there was something about that Clippers team that seemed a little soft. They did not. You got to have a killer mentality to close it out when you're up three to one, and and the Nuggets had it, and the Clippers didn't. Yes, that, I mean it nobody was saying that they, before the Nuggets series. Everybody was saying how that team is full of veterans full of tough guys, full of six-man-of-the-year players, full of all kinds of guys there. And then the Nuggets made them soft. Nobody was talking about uh, Cam Newton not diving for a football until he didn't do it in Super Bowl 50. Yeah, the Broncos did that to him. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a reason why some of these things happen. I just think that credit needs to be given rather than blame aside. Got it. I credit the Nuggets. I credit yeah. the Nuggets, and I think, hey, it's a great accomplishment to have made it to the Western Conference Finals, and sure and it's a take a step forward. Take a step, yeah. 
Yes. This is a step forward and they're all, this is a very young team. They haven't, they haven't sacrificed their future to make some crazy trades or anything like this. All their talent has been home built, homegrown. So there's a lot to like. There's a, there's a lot to be excited about regardless of what happens in this series. So. In Denver sports in general, you know, the Avalanche, also a good young team. The Broncos need to put it together here, but have a lot of young talent that um, my thought is kind of just, however this season goes, I would expect over the next few years for Drew and, and Noah and Cortland and Jerry and some of these guys, you're just going to keep getting better. And so I think uh, – Maybe it's taken a little bit longer than fans would certainly like it to, but I think the future is bright here as well, and it won't be long before. It's great being a Denver sports fan right now, but because of obviously the scheduling, the way things have happened with the pandemic and everything, it's a little bit rough being like, I got to watch all these football games. I got to watch the basketball games. Earlier I was watching hockey like every night, at home, it was just nonstop sports. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, our thanks to Akeem Talib for talking. Uh, I think that this might be the only outlet that he's talked to since announcing his retirement. So you heard it right here. So make sure you go ahead and give a little subscription. Uh, maybe a five-star, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, uh, talked about the importance of this game the keys to the game, and then we got into uh, two truths, one lie, and also uh, some fill in the blank. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back after the game on Sunday with a little breakdown, get some instant reactions, some instant analysis. Until then, for Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to uh, uh, the, the Neutral Zone.